Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have been rejected so that we would be accepted. You were abandoned so that we would never be abandoned. You took on our punishment so that we would not be punished. You rose from the grave to life so that we might have eternal life. Lord, teach us how to live like you, how to be like you. And as we face rejection, as we are pushed back or questioned, or I think of believers across the world who are being persecuted, even killed today because of their faith, may we be bold and courageous. And may we be marked by joy and love, a bold love that will not stop in the face of rejection. Teach us to love others without any need for love in return because all the love we need we have found in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Again, another welcome to our Primera Iglesia Bautista. Friends, uh, this message is being translated into the heavenly language of Espanol. And uh, I'm so, so thankful for Edward Retta, others who are helping make that happen today. So I was in the fifth grade. Um, I'm going to take you back. Uh, I had a major crush on this girl, Karen Lenoris. I mean, I can still see her today. Stacy knows this. I'm still, still sorting through this. Um, this is before I met Stacy, of course. But I wanted to ask Karen uh, to go with me. Um, that's what it, we called it back in the day, kids, dating, whatever that is. You know, we, we didn't have text, probably would have texted her, but instead, um, and I think I had had a couple of conversations with her prior to this, but I was going to ask her to go with me. I was just infatuated, taken by her. So I literally, I wrote a note to her and I had the, the go between, you know, the in-between friend I'm talking about. Helping bridge the gap. Okay, so I had a friend ready. She went, took my note to Karen. Literally, I did this. Fifth grade. Um, Will you go with me? I had two boxes, yes or no. (laughs) And she said no. She said no. (laughs) And I've worked through that. Lots of years getting through that. But... um, she said no. And I, I learned a couple of things. The first one, probably, I should have probably talked to her, actually gotten to know her a little bit before I asked her to go with me. I also learned that, you know, when you're in the fifth grade, if you're a fifth grade boy here today, be prepared for rejection. <laughs> because that's a real thing. And rejection stinks. Rejection is the worst But I wonder, do you ever feel there are some things that are worth the risk of being rejected for? I want you to think about that in your own life. Surely anything worth anything much is worth a risk. Uh, For some of us, maybe you took a risk just to be here today. But there are certain things in life that you go for, that you go after. You put yourself out there because you think, you know, there's a greater gift or purpose on the other side of this. I might be rejected, but I'm going to press on through this. And today what I want to talk about is how we face and embrace rejection as a part of being the followers of Jesus. 
And I want to talk today about what it is to be bold in our faith and to share Christ with others, even if it means being rejected. And, and if you're a guest today, or maybe you're still on this journey of sorting through what does it mean to follow Jesus, we really all are on this journey, but maybe you never have come to a point where you've received him as Lord of your life. You've never come to a decision as these three uh, women, young ladies have done today to say, Jesus is Lord of my life. And that is a, that is a subversive, countercultural statement to make, even in our day. And if you've not come to that point yet, I want you to just listen in because today, a unique message for us today, as we think about this Jesus, who is Lord of all. And if he is, we've been called, we know that we've been called to proclaim his message to all. And so today we're going to talk about this. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4 and we're going to uh, dive into a, a, a moment again. We looked at Peter's message last week. Today we're going to look at Peter's response to being rejected, even being put on trial for something that took place. And we're going to learn a lot from Peter and the early believers' response. We're going to learn that we proclaim Jesus as Lord. That's first. We're going to learn that we need to prepare to be rejected. And we need to pray to keep going. And so I'm really challenging Saul, particularly as we lean into this Easter season, to be bold and courageous witnesses for Jesus in all of our circles of influence. I want you to think today, here's the application, who's your one? It could be 10, it could be 20. Who are you seeking to reach? Who are you seeking to reach with the love of Jesus? I want you to have a person in mind, a face in mind, maybe it's someone in your family, someone you know. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend. Maybe you don't know where they are exactly, but I want you to think about whom the Lord is placing on your heart right now. As we think about who's your one. Here in Acts 4, the Sadducees, to set it up in context a little bit, they're the ruling party of the Jews. They're the aristocrats. They're in, really in cahoots with the Romans, in fact. And it says here in verse 2 that they're greatly annoyed. This word is irritated. They're worn out. We see this in our day, don't we? People who are bold about proclamation of Jesus in the midst of rejection, people get kind of annoyed. In fact, I could argue if you haven't gone far enough to annoy someone, maybe you're not being explicit enough. That's what we're going to see today. Because the gospel truly does, uh, it, it draws a line. And Peter, what they've been talking about is the central message that we have, the resurrection of Jesus. So it separates him from every person who ever claimed to have a way to God, claimed to be a religious leader He's been preaching the resurrection. This is the one thing the Sadducees did not believe. They didn't believe in, in, in miracles. They didn't believe in angels. They did not believe in the resurrection. And this is after Peter and John have, have been a part, used by God, to heal a lame man that had been at the beautiful gate of the temple. Many say Jesus would have seen this man. Jesus didn't heal everyone that he saw. Everyone would have known this man, and Peter has healed him. And now he's arrested in chapter 4, verse 3. So the first thing I want you to see here, how we share the truth of Jesus. The first step is this. We proclaim that Jesus is Lord. We've talked a lot about that this month, but that's the first thing. If you're taking notes, three things. Proclaim Jesus is Lord. The proclamation is both with word and lifestyle. People attribute St. Francis of Assisi for saying, and, and I can't track this down, I think he never said it, but it was this. 
It was uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. What? I'm sorry, your good works have never had anyone think, Jesus died on the cross for me and he, he rose from the dead. He's Lord and he can forgive me of my sin. He alone is the way to heaven because of your good works. Good works is a starting point, but we must use words. We must use words. And so this is why Peter is causing a fuss. Look at what it says here, verse 5. On the next day, this is after they've been arrested, their rulers and leaders, elders, scribes, gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, happened to be his son-in-law, practicing high priest, and John and Alexander, they're members of the priestly family, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, okay, watch this, very intentional, encircled them, placed them in a certain spot, okay, they're on trial, they're in custody, and they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? How is it that you have claimed to have, and it seems you have healed this lame man? I mean, exhibit A is right there in front of them, smiling, I'm guessing. I mean, maybe he's running around in circles. I'm surprised through this story, one of the Sadducees didn't say, can we get this guy out of here? He's not helping at all. We've got to change life. And so they're asking, by what power do you do this? They knew that they would say Jesus of Nazareth. They knew that much. But they wanted a public statement, a statement on record, so that they could send them on to trial or even unto death. So here's verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit... Watch the pattern, filled with the Holy Spirit, leading to boldness. Said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning good deed done to, to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known. Here we go. To all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, this is his ongoing message, whom, you, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So Peter is emboldened and he speaks clearly. This is a challenge for many of us. Some of us need to just open our mouths. This week my challenge for you is in conversation with someone, even someone who may not be a believer, to say the name Jesus. Let's all say it together. We'll say Jesus. Let's say it together. Ready? Jesus. Let's say Jesus. Jesus. In the comfort of this sanctuary, there's no threat. There's no opposition. No, no sense of rejection. We proclaim him as Lord. We must do that out in the world to, uh, this week. That's the challenge. Let's say his name. Jesus told us. He told Peter and his disciples in, in Luke 21, 15, I will give you the words to say in the moment that you need. It's a moment in faith. I don't know what to say. I'm going to say something instead of nothing. He also said in Luke 12, 12, he said, the spirit will give you the very words you need in that very hour, in that moment. I've discovered this so many times. We just step out in faith and cross that barrier of fear, just enter in to the conversation. The Spirit will speak. 
Sometimes you just need to open your mouth. And that's what Peter does. And, and, and he, we share our experience. That's what a witness does. You think, well, I may not know what to say. I don't know what might come out. I, don't, I can't answer all the questions. Share what you know is true. That's all the witness does. What we've seen, what we've heard. That's what Peter does. Look at verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation, uh-oh, in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now he makes two bold statements here. One, he's claiming that Jesus is the cornerstone. A Psalm 118, a post-exilic psalm that every one of them would have known. And Jesus actually references this, this uh, psalm as well in relation to himself. The cornerstone is, that, is, is this image of, of, of Israel in the psalm. And they're being rejected by all the nations. Okay, The heathens, the non-Jews are rejecting Israel, the cornerstone. Jesus applies this to himself. And here Peter says, you have rejected the cornerstone. Peter is saying... God's entire redemptive plan is now wrapped up, not in a people, but in a person. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the one at the center of it all. He is the the, the core of all that we believe. He's the one who's now working out the redemptive uh, plans of God in the world. It's now focused on a person. He's the cornerstone. You have rejected him. And every one of them would have known what he was saying. Jesus said this would happen. In Luke 20, he was asked by the same group. They were scribes and, 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 and Sadducees, rulers. They asked him, by what authority are you doing this? And they were afraid. He said, well, you, I got a question for you. Ask John, what, 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 what power is he baptizing in? Heaven or earth? You tell me. Knowing they were fearful of the crowds and they would not answer him. Jesus masterfully says, I won't answer you either then. So here he's saying, here's the point. Peter is simply repeating what Jesus has said. That's what we do. Now you have to know Jesus' words in order to repeat them. He's simply copying. This is what the apostles are doing. Copying what they had seen and heard in Jesus. He's on trial. He's being cross-examined. Listen. All a witness does is state the truth. That's all we do. What we know to be true, what we've seen and what we've heard. So friend, let me ask you, have you experienced Christ in your life? Do you know his love in your life? It's all you need. Let me tell you my experience because here's the beauty of that as well. They can't refute your experience. Even that could be well-received in our day when anything goes, right? Well, that's what you believe. I don't believe that. I, I don't share your truth, but that's your truth. And so good for you. But we got to go a step further. Not only have I experienced the love of Christ, Peter says there's salvation in no one else. No other name. Now, I want to pause here for a moment and offer some, uh, some deeper thoughts around this because this is his defense. This is his closing argument, if you will. This is his mic drop. This is, this, there's no other name and this garners a lot of attention in our day. 
Now, it did here as well. But people today say that is, that is the, the, the rub. That's the challenge for many of us. Because you're saying that Jesus is the exclusive way. In a culture of relativism and inclusion, right? So let's unpack this for a moment before we keep pressing on. To say that Jesus is the only way is an exclusive statement. But we must pause for a moment to say this. Any truth statement is an exclusive statement. Any religious claim is a truth statement. Even to say, well, no, that's exclusive. I believe there are many ways to God. That is a truth statement. That's an exclusive statement. You're excluding the fact that no, Jesus is the one way. And for people who say, you know, I can't handle this this kind of exclusive claim. Uh, I think there are many ways to God. Well, that too is an exclusive claim. See, any truth claim is, is exclusive. Even to say, how about this, there is no truth. That's a truth statement. And if that is true, then that statement's not true. You tracking with me? Think of it over lunch. You can talk about it. Okay. There is no truth. No, that's a truth statement. You're, you're claiming then there is, that's the, kind of the most exclusive statement you can make. Everything else is up for grabs. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the only way, not a way, he's the way. Or how about this, you know, people who say, well, I just think um, that's really offensive. I just kind of pull and draw from all religions. That's kind of you know, a common way to go these days. Not that people have thought much about that, but that's the, uh, be it. Nobody, because no religion can claim an exclusive claim to God, I, I just draw from really the best of all religions. And that sounds so noble, so inclusive. Who is choosing what you're drawing from? You're doing that. In your system, your train of thought, you become, you are God. You're God in your religious system. You're the one determining what is right and wrong. And even there, there's an objective standard by which you're choosing these truths from other religions. Or how about the old uh, familiar story that was born out of India. Um, It's the story out of Hinduism of, of the elephant with the blind men who roam around and gather around this elephant. Maybe you've heard the story. One grabs hold of the, of the leg and he thinks, well, the elephant's a lot like a tree, not like a tree trunk. Another one grabs the, the tail, maybe, and says, no, it's, or the trunk. It's like a, like a big snake, seems to be. Another pushes against the size. No, an elephant's like a big wall. Each one has their different perspectives. The idea is, is that uh, each one can share their own experience and we collectively together have a greater view of the elephant and what he looks like. The whole story breaks down when you realize uh, someone does know what the elephant looks like. The storyteller knows exactly what the elephant looks like. And so all the blind men are groping around trying to figure out what the elephant looks like. The storyteller is God in our story. And he has come to us in the person of Jesus in the flesh to show us what he looks like in human form. And watch this. And to open the eyes of the blind. To see him. We know exactly what God looks like. We know exactly what he looks like because Jesus has come to show us 
And how about this? This, what seems logical for some, that I'm going to pull from different religions in order to really, again, form my own religion, but I'm going to go that route. Wouldn't it make more sense to draw from a singular religion, a singular, cohesive, comprehensive view, instead of drawing from worldviews around the world that are radically different and have radically different views of God? To say that all religions point to the same God tells me you have not done any study of comparative religions. And how about this? To claim that there are other ways to God apart from Jesus. And to say that's an exclusive claim. What you're saying is still, any religion, then you must meet certain standards in order to get to God. But the Christian faith offers what Tim Keller calls the most inclusive exclusivity known to man. Everyone is welcome because it's not based on how good you are. It's not based on how smart you are. Where other religions demand that you must do certain things. Christianity says, no, no, no. Christ has done it for you. You come inclusive to everyone who would come. Exclusive because Jesus is the only way. Because he alone has lived the perfect life on our behalf. He alone has gone to the cross for us. He alone is our substitute. Think about it. If Jesus was born a virgin, of course he's the only way. If he died on the cross and rose again, of course he's the only way. And we stand with Peter. I'm going with the guy who died and was raised again. I'm going with him 100% of the time. He's the only way. Think about it. This was the central message that Jesus had. What was his central teaching? Was it because it was love? Was it he cared for the poor? Was it the kingdom of God? What was the central focus of his teaching? It was his identity. Who he claimed to be. And he claimed to be Lord. Consider the claims of Jesus. He made himself equal to the the Father. I and the Father are one. He forgave sins. He answered with I am, the equivalent of Yahweh. I am statements over and over again. You see, if I had time, I'd offer some, some references here to each one of these. To know Jesus was to know God. You see, to see him was to see God. Whoever sees me has seen the Father. To believe in him was to believe in God, the one who sent him, he says. To receive him was to receive God. To to hate him was to hate God. To reject me, he said, is to reject the Father. Friends, when we share the gospel, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting truth. And to honor him was always to honor God. So C.S. Lewis was the one who made this trilemma popular. We talk about it often. I'm just helping you get some, you don't have to know all the answers, but these things help us to be a bit more confident in in our witness. The trilemma was that Jesus is either liar or he's a lunatic or he's Lord. There's, there are no other options. Some would add legend, but you can't, you can't deny the fact that Jesus lived. You're not doing a lot of research if you haven't, if you, if you mark that one off. So, so Lewis said there's only three options. And to eliminate one means you then believe the other two. To eliminate the second would mean that you have a third. In fact, it was John Duncan, a Scottish minister in the 1800s, who was first to articulate this trilemma, which is three possibilities that cannot exist at the same time. 
And he says this, you can see his statement there. Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud. He's a a liar, okay. Or he was himself deluded and self-deceived. He's a lunatic, he's crazy. Or he was divine, he's Lord. There is no getting around or getting out of this trilemma. It is inexorable or, or impossible to stop. Friends, if you're here today and you've never come to grips with this, may we have a moment here where you realize there's got to be a decision made. Because he's either Lord of your life or not, and you are lost and destined for eternity apart from him. There's no getting around it. He alone has satisfied the moral demands of the law on our behalf. He is the exclusive way. He is the only way. Praise be to God. The most inclusive exclusivity known to man. So we proclaim him as Lord. I want to spend most of our time there. Secondly, prepare to be rejected. All right, now let's just enter into this. I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon really talking about this. We must do the same uh, as Peter and, and the apostles and those who are bold witnesses. So fifth grade Jeff knew that rejection was a possibility. Um, I pr- probably should have sought some more counsel. But here's a picture of me, um, you can see. It might have been the bowl haircut, I mean, I admit. <laughs> might have been the Dutch boy, you know, look that did me in. But here's the thing. Uh, fifth grade Jeff needed to step it up a little bit. Uh, fifth grade Jeff probably should have been a little more bold. He should have been more explicit. See, boldness reveals our faith. Boldness reveals our love. Instead, see, timidity reveals uncertainty. So look at, look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness, and some of you are still fascinated, he had hair. He had hair. That's what y'all were just frozen there for a moment. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, and that doesn't mean illiterate or stupid. It means they, in their minds, they were, they were not a part of a formal Talmudin. A group of disciples following after a rabbi. Now, we know they were following the greatest rabbi. They didn't know this. But they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Because disciples look and talk and act like the rabbi. So look at this. Boldness and courage reveals faith. So a lack of boldness, cowardice, reveals a lack of faith. I'm going to ask you, are you bold? Think about it. Or how about this? We talk about what we love. You know, some, some of you might say, well, Jeff, I'm not a preacher like you. I'm not an evangelist. You know, I don't know that I would call myself an evangelist. I just love Jesus a lot. Many of you are quick to talk about your children, your grandchildren. I mean, I can't keep some of y'all from talking about your grandchildren. You're talking about your favorite team. You're passionate about certain things because you want others in on it. Brings you joy. You want, you want to spread the joy and love. Do you talk about Jesus? Why was Peter so bold? You might say, well, gosh, he was throwing down some Old Testament. He knew a lot. He was smart, evidently. He, no, no, no. He simply shared what he had seen. And lo- watch this. I love this. That they had been with Jesus. Friends, that's why we spend time with him. For ourselves, yes, to remind ourselves of how much he loves us. But we really have our quiet times and we get centered for everyone we'll encounter in the day to come. 
They had been with Jesus. Look at verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. Again, the man is standing there, I'm guessing, grinning. Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more in, or to anyone in this name. So this called them, they called them and charged them not to speak. Or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You know, this happens in our culture today, doesn't it? You get explicit enough and some will come and say, okay, let's stop, stop that. I'm asked to pray at certain events often and, and it's all, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. Well, this is kind of a, you know, go easy on that because we got others here. And I'll say, well, I'm, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. I think they would expect that. I'm a Christian. I'm here probably because I'm a pastor. People know that. And, and I'll enter those conversations. And sometimes, if, here's, how about this? If we're not explicit enough, it might be a sure sign that we have not truly shared the gospel. Peter is bold. He's explicit. Then rejection comes or opposition comes. Look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. What a great response. Hey, you guys, I mean, if y'all... I'll either listen to God or listen to man. You tell me, which do you want to do? Which, which will you do? He's saying, you know, if you're in my position, as passionate as I am, I must, you be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. There he is the witness again. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man whom, on whom this sign, sign, pointing to Jesus, pointing to the gospel of healing, was performed, he was more than 40 years old. I mean really old, evidently. And he'd been there a long time. But here's the thing. A changed life, how about that, was proof. Same for us. My life changed by Jesus is proof enough. We must proclaim Jesus is Lord. We must prepare to be rejected. But then here it is. I'll close with this. We've got to pray to keep going. Friends, let's collectively together. That's why you're here today. Isn't it in part? We gathered for prayer this morning and we were celebrating again. Lord, it's so good to be together. I'm encouraged. I'm emboldened. Because friends, you're going to find yourself off on Thursday afternoon. You're going to feel alone unless you have believers in your life that you can talk with. We need this kind of persevering faith in our day so desperately because many of us are facing some opposition. Nothing like Peter or our brothers and sisters around the world, but we face some opposition, maybe in your own family. I'm not going to talk about Jesus because that gets everybody a little crazy. Well, don't stop. Don't stop. Believe that God is at work and he's going to continue to work. Look at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. So they go to the church, comes together to hear what happened, and look at what they prayed. And here's what I want you to see in our prayers. Let's remind ourselves who God is. I love this. See, their first prayer wasn't, oh, Lord, they're coming against us. 
we're scared to death. It's a, we're against all odds. I mean, do you know what's going on here? We're being ostracized. We're losing a little cultural power. I mean, God, do you not see this? We're scared to death. This is not their prayer, nor is it ours. And in fact, it's too often our prayers. We, we cower back. Look at what they, how they pray, verse 24. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. And they're going to quote this psalm, but look at, look at that. They, they pray, let's remind ourselves again of who he is. That's why the gathering every Sunday morning, other Bible study times, other times with, with the Lord in his word and with other believers, so critical. Again, Monday morning, I forgot who God is. You really are sovereign. My problems are nothing to you. They remind themselves of who God is. Look at verse 25. Why did the Gentiles rage? He's drawing from Psalm, uh, the early Psalm 2, verse 1 and 2. And the people's plot in vain. In other words, why all the big noise from the nations? And you watch news nowadays. We see news from around the world. What's all the noise? Who thinks they're in control? As if Jesus is inconsequential. He's the king of kings. The king, kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed. So we need to tell God about our circumstances. Look how it goes on. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and all the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I love that. They're saying, Lord, you're in charge of everything. Man, I've had a rough day. Gosh, I lost my job. I'm in a vocational challenge. I've got a real difficult meeting this week. I've got a confrontational moment with this person. You know what? But you're in charge. And you're working through things that are working against me. Lord, you're at work. So we need to remind ourselves together who God is. Remind each other that he is acting. He's at work. So so that's it. Pray that God would act and then look for how he works. We're going to pray. We're going to watch you work. Friends, we need more prayer in the body of Christ. We need more prayer. Prayer is the hard work. It's the first work. It was Oswald Chambers said, you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. Then you can go. But watch God work. Look at verse 29 as they come to a close here. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. They didn't pray, Lord, we're in trouble. We're going to quit. We're done. No, we're praying for more boldness. I'm praying for Primera Iglesia Bautista to have the greatest boldness they've ever had as they enter back into the neighborhood that God's called them to reach. And we're going to be praying with you. We're going to be holding the ropes as you go into that neighborhood and into your new space. Praying for boldness. Not to cower back, but to be more bold than ever. It's my prayer for us as a church. While you stretch out your hand to heal, he says, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Look at verse uh, 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. 
The Lord saw these people are with me. I'm going to pour down my spirit upon them. There's the filling of the spirit. Now we all have the spirit in us. There's an acknowledgement, a filling of his spirit, always followed by boldness for proclamation. This is the pattern we see. So Lord, fill us up. We empty ourselves before you. May you fill us up this week to be your ambassadors as we go scattered across this community, through the city, and I'm guessing around the world, our members, this week to share the love of Jesus. So listen, proclaim Jesus is Lord. Prepare to be rejected. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised. Nor is the Lord surprised. And then pray to keep on going. So I'm going to close our time in prayer. And I want to ask you again, who's your one? Who's your one? Let me guide us in prayer. Let's all just bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want us now to focus in. Bring your attention to the Lord and how he has spoken into your life through this incredible passage. And I want to ask you, who's your one? Who is God putting on your heart right now? Who is the Holy Spirit placing on your heart? Look at their face. Maybe there's someone you don't know where they stand. Maybe it's a family member, longtime friend, a coworker. The Lord is prompting you to share the gospel with them. What he's done in your life. And that Jesus is the only way. Lord, I pray that we will be bold. That this, even this message, even this story will embolden us like it did those first believers. That we'll be a church that proclaims Christ is Lord. A countercultural, subversive statement in this cultural moment. But it is the only statement that brings clarity to how we are saved. So Lord, let us be bold. Let us be explicit. And even if we're rejected, may we be even bolder still. Because some things are worth the risk of rejection. And we proclaim that Jesus is Lord and you, Lord, are worth all that we are and all we have. We give you our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now we have a special way to close our time together. Um, But before we do, I want to offer a few uh, just really easy next steps.